and forget the things that you're supposed to say. And, and we'll all be together. And so that would, that would be great if you would like to help out in that way. There's, there's so many opportunities to get involved uh, in our church, some in ways that are maybe more upfront. And if you're not afraid of people, that's good. If it's are afraid of people, there's lots of ways to serve in, in, uh, around where people aren't watching you. And, and so if you to get involved in things, just please let us know and we'll try and plug you in where we see your gifts and, and your abilities and what God, uh, well, and, and you can explain to us what God has called you to do and we would love to partner with that and see that happen. Uh, again, if you're visiting, we've been studying through Exodus. Um, I spent a big portion of 2022 uh, reading through and studying this with a friend of mine from Winnipeg. And every two weeks we would gather together and uh, over Zoom, and we'd have a conversation and, and, and look at the passages and look at the conversations that surround these things. And the more that we did that, uh, I, I, I just kept starring Exodus as, man, we got to go through this. This is so relevant for our life. Sometimes we focus, you know, on, on the New Testament letters because, you know, they're maybe more obviously applicable to us. And sometimes we ignore some of the really old stuff in the Bible going, well, that's, that's so long ago that, that what relevance but the simple thing is this. The book of Exodus teaches us that God is sovereign, that God is in control of all things, that he has plan and purpose for his people, and that his plans and purposes for his people are much larger than their own assumptions of what his plans are. And while our context is different, we're not, we're not abused by a nation in slavery, we no less need God's hand directly in our lives. We no less need his rescue and his help. Uh, like I said earlier, in our culture right now, we're so, we're so apt to assume that we can do everything on our own. That, that we have all of our needs met and we sometimes forget just how dependent we, need, uh, dependent we are and should be on the grace of Jesus. And so Exodus helps us, rem- reminds us of that as we kind of watch and, and, and journey through their journey from our eyes, and we see God has plan and purpose that, that they don't see. And sometimes, you know, we can read through Scripture, maybe even in the New Testament, we can look at the, the disciples where Jesus says things like, do you still not get it? Are you still not understanding? And we can be maybe a little critical and harsh and be like, man, yeah, how come you guys don't get it? Well, this has been all the way since Genesis, all the way to the end of the Bible, and all the way to now. How many of you, you can show hands because this is not indicting, but how many of you, if you could counsel everyone in your life, you could see everything real objective and you know exactly what they should do? Does it feel that way sometimes though? Right, like objectively when we're not involved in the situation, we can look at that and we can say, oh, oh, you, you should be doing this or you should be responding in that way or you shouldn't have done that. But then when the tables get turned and it involves us or our family, our own emotions or our workplace or whatever, we can, we can get very muddied waters, I guess. And so we are just as dependent as they have been, and we miss stuff just like they do, and so we continue to go back to God's word to see these things. In the few, first few chapters of Exodus, we, we see God's sovereign plan, that he's in control of all, that it's not Pharaoh who is in charge of the Hebrew people, but that God has allowed this to happen for his purposes as he unfolds his plan of rescue to the nation of Israel. And that can be very difficult to swallow sometimes, to go, God, how could you allow this awful thing to happen? 
But over and over in Scripture, we see that God allows some of these things because he has purposes far greater than just the individual, or even in this case, just the nation. And so as we've been reading, the purpose of all of this is that God's power would be on display so that not only the Hebrew people see his power, but that all nations see his power. And as they all see his power, they come face to face with God going, you are the one true God. And to you, I want to give allegiance. Not, and we're going to see this this morning uh, briefly, is not to the Egyptian gods, for they have no power, but the one true God who has all power. And we're going to see actually that some Egyptians do understand and see that God is the one true God. Last week we began with the, the ten plagues of Egypt. And if you're not familiar with this, is, is Pharaoh has been told um, by God through Moses that the people will be freed from slavery and they're going to go and they're going to go worship in the wilderness and, and ultimately they're going to end back in the promised land of Canaan. But the Pharaoh refuses and we actually see that it's God that at times hardened Pharaoh's heart because God says, it's not Pharaoh that's going to release them. It's I who am going to release them at my time with my purposes. And so we looked at the first six plagues that, that came upon the land of Egypt. And, and again, part of this is the refrain of getting the people to be released from the land. But part of this is also that all people, not just Pharaoh, but all the people would see their need. So we looked at the first uh, six plagues, and this morning we're going to look at plagues 7, 8, and 9 in chapters 9 and 10. And next week we're going to look at the last plague. Sorry, my microphone is causing me issues today. Let's read together here uh, Exodus chapter 9, verses 13 to the end of the chapter, and then we'll highlight and reference a few things in chapter 10 as we get into plagues 8 and 9, just for the sake of time. This is what it says starting in verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning, present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause every, sorry, I will cause very heavy hail to fall such as never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, send Get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter for every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on you. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh carried his slaves and his livestock into the house. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down to the earth. The Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst 
of the hail, very heavy hail, such as had never been seen in the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. The hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, there was no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord that there has been, plead with the Lord for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley we struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in bud, but the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they were laid in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh, stretched out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased. The rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again, hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. The story just basically continues. And uh, you might... You might think, hey, Greg, what are you going to say that's different than last week? The truth is not, not a whole bunch. But we are going to focus on, on two things that I think are significant here. But I want us to see kind of the journey as it's unfolded. Because at first what we saw was as the plagues began is the Egyptians could kind of replicate those plagues, at least in part. But they had no authority over them. And, and when they wanted those plagues to be do- done and dealt with, is the, the magicians could do nothing about it showing that God was of more power. And, and that trend kind of continued, and, and the disparity between God's power and the magicians of Egypt became more and more evident until in the last plague that we looked at last week, the boils, it said they weren't even able to stand before the Lord. They had been defeated. But now we see something else happening in, in plagues 7, 8, and 9. There's much more given, but there's a real big focus on Pharaoh's response and his lack of repentance and obedience. And those are the two main things that we're going to look at this morning, is what does it mean to repent, and what does it mean to really obey? Let me just remind you of verse 16, because this sums up everything over and over, and we cannot move past this. We have to see this as the primary purpose. In verse 16, it says, but for this purpose, I have raised you up. Now, real quick, who is he talking to? Pharaoh. So who's appointed Pharaoh in control or in power of the Egyptians at this point? God, in his timing, with his purposes. Now, that's that's not an easy thing to wrestle with. So when we look back on history and we see brutal people taking over and we look at this and we go why did God allow this and sometimes we see that God actually orchestrates these things but it says here it's for purpose I've raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all of the earth in Romans chapter 9 Paul's going to quote this exact verse in Romans nine seventeen, he quotes 
exalts it and he shows that God's power is on display for all nations so that all people would be able to come to him. Sometimes we can see this as this seems, this seems harsh or unfair or unjust. But God in his mercy has given many opportunities and, and we see that kind of in the end of Genesis where um, Joseph gets brought into the land and saves all of Egypt. Not himself, but through, God saves him through Joseph and through the plans that he gives to Joseph and the dream interpretation that he gives. And so this people was supposed to now be aligned with, with the Hebrew people. They were supposed to see that there is one true God and he alone is in control, but they choose a different path. And so discipline happens, and, and this is something that's difficult for us sometimes because we feel like, man, this isn't fair. Uh, how many times as a kid did you say to your mom and dad, like, why are you disciplining me? This doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel fair. You, you, you didn't do that to my older brother or older sister. Everyone ever say that? Usually our parents said, well, we disciplined the other children how they understood, and we discipline you how you understand. So everyone's different. And in a sense here, what God's doing is he's showing that that he has brought them to this place so that all nations would be able to see God's power because in God's power alone do we come or should we come humbly face to face with the one creator of all things and recognize and see that he has planned for salvation, that he wants to be in relationship with us. And we're going to talk about that in a brief moment. Pharaoh refuses, and verse 17 is really interesting. This got me thinking a lot this week. He says, you are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Now, again, we're in a different context, but that principle, that truth, I wonder how much in my own heart, and I evaluated a lot this last week, and I, and I want to invite you into that too, is how often do I stand opposed to God's will because I think that my way is better? I probably never say it that way, and often the truth is I probably don't see exactly what God's will is, but I push against what he's doing. And I go after what I want. How often do, does my own arrogance, does my own ego get in the way of my relationships? How often does my own ego and my own arrogance get in the way of my marriage or my parenting? Or the friends that I have at work? I think if we're honest that most of us struggle with this at, at great length because inside of us there's this selfish desire that we want things. And we want things to be our way because we have reasons. We think our way is the right way. And marriage is one of these beautiful gifts from God where actually the, the greatest purpose of it is so that you can see your own selfishness that you can repent of that selfishness and you can exalt another above your own so that you can learn what it means to live in unity with others who disagree. Tim Keller once said that uh, if you treated your own selfishness as the greatest problem in your marriage, that your marriage is destined for great things. I think that's very true. So God says, why are you exalting yourself, Pharaoh? Now, hasn't six plagues been enough? Haven't you seen this? But then here in this plague, there's a, there's a shift that's really interesting. Is in verse 19, you actually see that God warns the Egyptians. He doesn't just say, here's the plague that's going to happen because of your disobedience. There's two warnings. One is, here's what's going to happen if you don't let my people go, which obviously he doesn't. 
But then we see in verse 20, some of the Egyptians responding to that warning, saying there's going to be hail coming. And God's desire is not that everyone would just die. That's not the point. The point is that they would humble themselves and repent, that they would see that the one true God alone is just and right and that they should come under his uh, authority. And so you see some of the Egyptians do that. They get their, their servants and their, their flocks and they take them and they, and they hide them from the hail because they recognize at this point that when God speaks, God acts. What God says he's going to do, he does. Now again, this might seem subtle at first, but constantly in Exodus, and we'll bring this up in just a minute again, but constantly in Exodus, there's a dichotomy of one extreme versus another. So in other words, what God says, he does. What Pharaoh says, he does the opposite. You see that? So many times he's like, fine, I'm going to let you go. But as soon as the plague is over, what does he do? I'm not going to let you go. See, Christians are called to be people of integrity. We're called to be people, well, Jesus says it this way, let your yes be yes and your no be no. What you say, you should mean. Don't go back and forth on these things, but let your word be your bond. And God's calling for mercy on the Egyptians, and some of them do obey, but some of them don't. Verse 26 notes again for us this distinction between the Egyptians and and the Hebrew people. And that those that are in the land of Goshen, uh, that they they don't have the plague happen on them because at this point they are very well aware of God's power and and have submitted themselves under it, at at least for now. We're going to see, as the text moves on in the coming weeks, we're going to see that just like us, When bad circumstance happens, we forget real quick God's goodness and his mercy. We'll get there in a moment. Pharaoh responds in in verse 27. This is really, really interesting too. Now remember, Moses continues to intercede on behalf. Pharaoh goes, goes, I'm not going to let the people go. A plague comes and he eventually goes, we can't deal with this any longer. Moses, please intercede for us. Plead with God so that this is gone, so that it's, it's over. So this is now the seventh time this has happened. And yet what we see here is, notice Pharaoh's response. Sorry, this is verse 27. Uh, he says, this time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Okay, there's good news, bad news. Good news is he's admitting, he sees that he's in the wrong, he and his people. But the first part of that commentators draw uh, or talk about a lot is this, this time I've sinned. What about the other six times? And again, as I was kind of going down that rabbit trail and reading some commentaries and, and focusing on this, is how many times in my own life do I reap the consequences of my poor choices, get to a point, and then go, okay, God, clearly this time I've done something that's wrong. Help me with this. Forgetting all the other horrible decisions that I've made or the disobedience that I've done. See, Mo, or, sorry, Pharaoh has not yet repented. And he's acknowledging that he is in the wrong. But words without actions have no meaning. We say this as parents all the time is, you know, how many of you remember when you were little? How many brothers and sisters? How many punched one of those brothers and sisters and then were told to apologize for it? And then you were like, I'm sorry. And then you did it again. Right? Like that doesn't work. 
Pharaoh, the same way here is, okay, I admit me and the people are in the wrong. Do this, get, I just can't deal with this any longer. And then what do they do? No, he hardens his heart. Sometimes he hardens his heart. Sometimes God hardens his heart. The point is that it's not time yet for them, for the Hebrew people to be released. But Moses' response is what's really interesting here, is Moses knows full well that he's not going to release them at this point. And yet he pleads with God to remove the plague. Isn't that interesting? I think if I'm honest, you know, my, my own kind of judgment and vindication would be like, until they're going to repent, do not allow any mercy from this. That would be kind of my way. It's a good thing I'm not God, I guess. Probably a good thing that none of us are. Moses sees this and he goes, you know what? You kind of have it in brackets there, kind of in the sense of you can kind of read Moses' thoughts here. Is that, okay, some of the harvest is wrecked, but there's still more that's coming. And so when the, when the hail stops, is, is Pharaoh's going to see that there still is a tiny little bit of possibility that he could still uh, have enough food. And so, so he's not going to let us go. But what's crucial to understand, again, the dichotomy that exists, is that Moses trusts God no matter what now. Somewhere along this journey, uh, probably not somewhere as much as the, the, the ongoing maturity of this process, is he's realized, I can trust God no matter if he's going to release us now or in a little while. Remember the very first time that Moses went to Pharaoh and said, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And he goes back to God and he goes, what have you done? You said you were going to free your people and now Pharaoh's not. And he's made their lives more difficult. And you see that both Moses, Aaron, and the people of Israel, their hearts and their spirits are crushed. And, and they, they cry out and go, why would you do this, God? Well, none of that exists anymore in the text. Now you simply see Moses going, I'm still going to be obedient to what God has called me to do. No matter what the cost, no matter what the implications are, because I know that God alone is in control and God will free us when the time is right. Moses says as much, you're not going to free us. And in verse 34, we see that exact thing happen. Okay, this brings us to chapter 10, and I'm just going to highlight a few different things here as we go. The eighth plague is the locusts, and you see in chapter uh, two, uh, 10, verse 2, something that's actually quite interesting. We've seen over and over that God says that his plans and his purposes are so that all nations would see his power, so that all would have a chance to come to repentance. But we see something interesting here in verse 2. He says this to Pharaoh, that you, or sorry, to Moses, pardon me, to Moses, says that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians, what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. He doesn't just do the other nation. He's also reminding his own people. Now, here's the thing. You could call this family discipleship. You could call this passing down the legacy as he's saying, Moses, you're going to tell this to your son and to your grandson. And the implication is that that's going to continue on. And so you, uh, parent today, if you have children, no matter how old or young your children may be, is you are called the same way to remind back of the faithfulness of God and all that he has done for you. Not, not only you, 
but all the way back. And, and this is why it's so important that we have the Old Testament. And, and some people kind of just focus and go, well, I just want the Gospels, or I just want, I just want the letters, uh, because that's more relevant to me. Well, if we ignore the Old Testament, we, we don't see how faithful God is. We don't see that what God promises, God does. If we read the Old Testament, we see that there is not a time that God says something's going to happen that it doesn't. And so we pass this on to our, the, or the next generation and, and to the next and to the next. And, and this is one of the things that was really, really well done for a long time through Scripture is that in the Hebrew culture, the Israelite people, they constantly, whether it was through feasts or whether it was through times of kind of mourning or whether it was through uh, times of Sabbath, or whatever it was, is they constantly went back to reminding them what God had done for their ancestors and what he continues to do for them. And I was reminded, do I do that for my son? Do I remind him of how God has been faithful? Do we take these moments? And, and there's, there's kind of one example that we kind of hark on in our lives is we bought a house in Winnipeg once that, uh, Phil, you'll like this. It was uh, renovated by an illegitimate contracting company. And it was done worse than I would have done it, which is real bad. That's saying something. And uh, the kind of joke that we have now, you know, as we years past and we've gotten out of that situation, is that when it rained outside, it would rain inside. And so Smonga was just a little, little boy, and he would say things like, oh, remember when the house used to rain on the inside? And so we talk about that in the sense of that was horrible, and we had so much financial stress, and we didn't know how we were going to deal with this. And there were moments where people would simply all of a sudden hand us a check and say, I know you're going through difficulty. Use this. And that was so humbling. That's not me asking for money. Let me be real clear. <laughs> it was us remembering back and seeing that God, through his people, intervened in moments and helped us. And, and so sometimes when things are, you know, when all of a sudden the bank account looks okay that week or something, and we, we look at Smong and I go, hey, remember, remember when we had the house that rained on the inside? God is faithful. He has taken us out of that. And it's just those things to look back on in our own lives and remind our kids, maybe remind ourselves, God is faithful. In 10 verse 3, Moses asked the question uh, from God, how long, Pharaoh, will, will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Pharaoh's heart is so hard that he refuses to listen. And, and as the encounter with Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh continue on, what you see is it's in verse 7. It's actually not Pharaoh, but Pharaoh's servants who say, how long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. And then here's the key verse. Do you not understand that Egypt is ruined? You've lost, Pharaoh. It's over. Let him go. This is where something significant happens, at least partly sort of listens. There's a realization that his land is being destroyed over this fight. But he's still unwilling to lose his slaves, and so he, he kind of barters with Moses, saying, okay, Moses, you, you can go, but who's going to go? And again, so you have this, there's either full obedience or there's no obedience. 
And so Moses says, well, we all have to go because God said we're all going to go. Well, no, you, you, the men can go, but the, the women and the children, they're going to stay here. And this argument kind of ensues, and, and Moses has just got his resolve that, no, this is what God has called us to, and we are not going to only obey partly, we're going to obey completely. Pharaoh continues to barter with God, and he's unwilling. He's unwilling to simply submit himself under God and go, yes, what God wants, God will get. But here's the narrative of the point, or of the point of the narrative here, is that God is going to accomplish God's purposes no matter what. The same is true in our lives. And so are we going to submit ourselves under that, or are we going to be in defiance to God and fight and fight and fight until we have nothing left and we reach that rock bottom point where there's no hope and then go, okay, God, you get your way. Forgetting the whole while that God's way is actually better than our way. He refuses. I will not let everyone go. So the locusts come just as God has warned and they destroy every green thing left. Egypt is a wasteland. And it says Pharaoh in haste calls Moses and Aaron and he admits that he has sinned against God and against the Hebrews. Have you, have you seen this before? Moses intercedes again and the locusts go away and what does Pharaoh do? Refuses to let the people go. I want to take a real slight detour here. We read the sentences where Pharaoh says, I have sinned against the Lord, your God, and against you. And as I was considering that, it reminded me of another story. Can you think of another time where that kind of vernacular is used? In Luke chapter 15, Jesus gives us a story called the prodigal son or the lost son. And the son goes on his own way. He rejects his father until he hits rock bottom. And he makes a plan, and that's the same sentence, essentially, that he says is, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and I have sinned against you. And in that story, what we see is we see the Father in rich mercy and forgiveness offer, or mercy and grace offer forgiveness to his son and restores him. But here we don't see that. And here's the point of everything. This is where we get back to repentance. The son, in the story in Luke 15, acknowledges what he's done is wrong, and he repents of that, and he turns and follows what's true and right. This word repentance literally means to turn and to walk in the opposite direction. Pharaoh knows intellectually that he sinned against God, but he won't repent. He won't turn from doing what's wrong and doing what's right. He doesn't correct his behavior. I said this already, but admitting you did something wrong without correcting the behavior accomplishes nothing. When we recognize that we have wronged someone, and ultimately that means we've wronged God, are we willing to recognize that and to change? Are we willing to repent of that and to follow what is right and what is good? The last half of 2 Peter uh, 3 verse 9 reminds us this, that God doesn't wish that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's God's goal 
through all of the trial and the heartache and the pain, that we would see his mercy and his grace. God has offered forgiveness to all of us through the death of Jesus on the cross, and Jesus conquered death by rising again, and he calls us to repent of our sins and to follow him. The gift of salvation is completely free to you outside of one thing is that you have to repent. If we can admit, God, what I have done is wrong and I want to turn and choose to follow what is right, then God is faithful and God will forgive us. That's the last half of the Romans road. Luke 15, we see the good example of that. Here, Pharaoh, we see the bad one. He's unwilling to repent. Intellectually, maybe he's willing to acknowledge only when the hardship is at its worst that he's done something wrong. The second last plague comes without warning or even a conversation between Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh. A complete darkness comes over the land for three days and people could not see anything. Kenneth Harris, a commentator, points this out. He says, this is a significant moment both in its immediate effects and for what it represents. The darkness to be felt immobilizes the inhabitants of Egypt from any normal pattern of life for three full days and is a foreboding warning of the death that waits in the final plague. And if you're willing to look far enough, you can see that three days of darkness and you can see all kinds of symbolism moving. See, God is in control of all things. Even, even supernaturally making the sun, moons, and stars bow under his command. God intervenes in all kinds of situations. Creation itself will follow what God wants done. Pharaoh finally goes a little bit further and says, okay, you can go and you can take the young with you, but your herds have to stay. And Moses goes, no, we're not partly obeying God. It's all or nothing. Verse 27 to 29. This is how it ends. And this is the ominous kind of conclusion before we get into the 10th plague. It says this. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. He would not let them go. And the Pharaoh said to him, this is to Moses, get away from me. Take care that you never see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. Everything is leading now to this moment. And this 10th plague that we'll look at next week, which ultimately is going to be representative of Jesus' death for us, and we'll talk about all that symbolism next week. But it ends with this sense that God has brought Pharaoh to this moment to show that there's one final showdown that he is going to win that the people will go free. And so we can look at this narrative and, and, and we can kind of read it from our modern context or we can look at it and we consider what it's actually trying to tell us. Is that God is a God of mercy and grace and he's offering salvation to us if we would only recognize it and we would turn in repentance to him and obey him. The beginning of what we read in chapter 9, God simply said, I could have already wiped you out, Pharaoh, and the Egyptians. But I haven't. It's a hard reality for us 
Why does God do the things that God does? And, and I'm sure many of you have had the conversation is, is why is there so much evil in the world and, and why is God not intervening? And my argument is always God is intervening. He's just intervening differently than you or I would because his purposes are far greater than my circumstances. But ultimately, my salvation is the salvation of the entire world. And so for us this morning, as we read that, are, are we going to learn from Pharaoh's mistakes? Are we going to recognize, are we going to see that, that all I have to do is repent of what I've done wrong and be obedient to what is right and follow God? And with that comes a promise of salvation. Or we can harden our hearts. Or we can choose to do our own thing. And we can reject the very thing that will give us life. That choice lays before us the same as it did to Pharaoh, the same as it does for every single person in all of Scripture and in the world today. My prayer for each of us is may we consider, have we repented of our sin? And are we choosing to follow after Jesus? Let's pray and then we'll take communion together. God, these are difficult chapters. And there's a lot in them that's hard to understand. And the truth of the matter is that you do a lot of things very differently than we would. And that's because you're God. You see all things. You, you don't have a very limited perspective like we do. Your perspective's unlimited. And so God, I pray that we would submit ourselves under you, that we would repent of the wrong that we have done, and that we would turn and we would follow you. Because living a life after you comes with hope and joy and meaning and purpose. And yes, there's still hardships and difficulty. But we face those hardships and difficulty knowing that you have conquered, that you have won. And that through Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, that death is conquered. And so as the Apostle Paul says, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. We don't fear the end because we know that when we take our last breath here that we get to go be with you for all of eternity. And so God, as we take a few moments to reflect on the cross of your body and blood broken and shed for us so that we would have salvation, would we be reminded of the depth of your love for us, that we don't deserve your grace or your forgiveness, but you love us and have offered it to us. And as it says in Romans, that if we confess with our mouths and believe in our heart, if we confess that you are God, and if we believe in our heart that Jesus rose from the dead, the promise is that we will be saved. Remind us of these truths in these moments now. Amen. I just want to flip ahead to 1 Corinthians. I'm just going to read these familiar verses every month that we read. 